So as Renee pointed out in our greetings this morning, we are beginning a new series for the season of Lent that we're calling the Gospel of Nobodies, in which we were looking at how Jesus is portrayed in Luke's Gospel, about he ha- how he has this affinity, this concern, this compassion, this deep love for those that the world considers to be nobodies, for the outsiders, the invisible, the marginalized. Now, to be sure, we see that in the other Gospels as well, Matthew and Mark and John, but Luke's Gospel, as we will see over the next several weeks, demonstrates this on every page. And as she also pointed out, we're doing something a little different this year during the season of Lent for the 40 days that lead up to Easter, and we are inviting and encouraging the entire congregation, those that are gathered here, those that are joining us online, all of us, to read through the entire Gospel of Luke together over the next several weeks. And so we've put together a reading plan Uh, We have put together uh, some study guides. We have put together uh, all sorts of resources. There are journals that are available just for you to be able to take notes and share your thoughts along the way. Um, And all of this is available at all of the exits here this morning. Uh, And if you're a digital person, if you're joining us online, all of this is available on our website at universitychristian.org slash gospelofnobodies. And so, uh, this evening, uh, everyone on our email list will receive an email that will share some of these things. Uh, Each of our clergy team have uh, recorded a video of sort of introductory statements and Bible study type stuff of what you will be reading over the course of the next week. And so, I'm really excited about this. I, I, I really believe that something powerful can happen when a community of faith joins together in committing to read and to study the Bible together in this very intentional way, growing together in our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. I'm really excited about this, and I'm very much looking forward to journeying with you in this way. And also, uh, with this series uh, that will follow along, we'll walk through the gospel paying attention to the way that Jesus cared for the outcasts, for the ones that society considered nobody. Now, here's where I want to push you a little bit. As if reading your Bibles every day wasn't a push enough, here's the other thing that I want you to do. I want you to bring your Bibles to church. I know, I know, it's crazy. I'm asking a lot. But there will be times, including this morning, uh, when I might point out a few things that don't appear in the readings uh, by our liturgists. And so this morning, I want to invite you right now to reach in front of you to that little black book. It's called the Bible, right in front of you, and open it and turn to the beginning chapters of Luke. This morning, we're going to look at the foundation of Luke which is built upon the first two chapters. It sort of lays the foundation for everything else that will happen in the gospel. It's known as the prologue, and it sets the stage. It helps us understand the rest of the gospel. Now, many of you know that the first two chapters of Luke deal with the birth story, what we oftentimes read uh, at Christmas time. And I know what you're all thinking. I know what you're all thinking, Russ. This is March, and it's Lent. It's not December, it's not Advent, why are we reading the Christmas stories? And that is because I believe that what we will see in these stories are details about who God is, 
about the heart and the character of God and what God asks us as people of faith, as followers of Jesus. So we're going to be reading two brief sections this morning. The first is from what is typically known as the Magnificat, which is what Mary sings when she discovers that she is pregnant with a child and not just any child, but this child. And the second reading that you will hear is just after the birth of Jesus, and we will hear in this moment who is the first to receive the announcement and who is the first to witness this holy child. So I invite you to listen to these words and read along in the Gospel of Luke. From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul signifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the loneliness of these servants, Surely, from now on, all generations will be called blessed. And from the second verse, chapter of Luke, verses 8 through 12. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. When an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were afraid. But the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I got to tell you, just hearing all of those pages turn, you guys are following along. I'm so proud of you. So I want us to start this morning at the beginning, and as they remind us in the sound of music, that's always a very good place to start. And I want us to look at how and why Luke writes this gospel account. He starts by saying in the very first verse, many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those for whom the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So what, what Luke is saying is that I understand that there are other gospel accounts, Oftentimes, scholars definitely believe that Mark was the earliest of the gospel, and, and, and Luke most certainly had a copy of Mark's gospel. He's saying, I understand that there are other gospels. But he goes on to say, but I decided to, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning these things about which you have been instructed. Now, notice right away that this gospel, that Luke's gospel, is written to a particular individual. His name is Theophilus, which is a name, a word that is driven from a combination of two words in Greek. The first one is theos, which means God. And the second word is philo, or phila, which means love. It's one of the words in Greek for love. It's a brotherly love. Think of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. 
And so Theophilus is quite literally a friend of God or a lover of God. Now, scholars look at this and think that maybe this is a symbolic name, that the gospel was written to anyone who loves God. And I suppose that that could be true. Other scholars believe that Luke was writing to a most excellent Theophilus, which means uh, most excellent is a title, right? It's your excellency, you might say. And that would indicate that Theophilus, to whom he is writing this gospel, is someone who has status. He is a man of means. In other words, he's a somebody. He's someone who society has, says has value and worth. Some scholars suggest that Luke is writing to him to help him better understand who this Jesus is that he has chosen to follow. Yet he's saying, look, I, I know you're somebody, but if you look at the heart, look at the character of God, if you look at who Jesus is, his deepest concern, his most compassion is for is for the nobodies. And if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, if you are going to be a lover of God, then you're going to need to care about the nobodies as well. And as we think of the nobodies, the phrase that was used in the first century in Hebrew was am ha-aretz. Let me hear you say am ha-aretz. Am ha-aretz is a word that literally means the people of the land. Now, originally back in uh, 586 BCE, the Jews were taken into captivity in Babylon. Some remained. They, we refer to this as the Babylonian exile, and almost all of the Jews were taken into exile there in Babylon. But there were some that were left behind, that remained in the land. And many of those people, uh, many of those people as the generations went on, began to intermarry with other people that had migrated into that area. People that came in with different uh, backgrounds, with different ethnicities. And so, and so they were no longer just simply Jews. They were now Jews and some other ethnicity. Sort of like an Italian-American or something like that. And they held on to the Jewish faith, but they modified it a little bit, bringing in the traditions and the rituals and the beliefs from other cultures. Sort of like if a Southern Baptist married a Catholic, right? There's going to be some differences in the way in which… Were you the Catholic or the Southern Baptist? So when the Jews came back to captivity at the, end, at the end of the exile, they saw these people that had remained behind, that had intermarried with other people, and they saw them no longer as friends, no longer as cousins, but now they were, now they were almost enemies. They were enemies because they were unorthodox. They weren't practicing the faith in the way that they should be. They became known as Samaritans. And they were people of the land who stayed in the land when everyone else was exiled. But by the time of Jesus, these were, uh, these were not just Samaritans who were still in existence, uh, and we'll get to that later in Luke when we look at the, the gospel, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan, as we will later find out, is sort of an oxymoron. 
But now, at this time, it had become a term to describe all sorts of other people. People that were considered ignorant and uneducated. People that were considered uncouth or unclean. That were considered outcasts or outsiders. The people on the underside of power. And they were known as the people of the land, Amha Aretz. Because they were the ones who didn't practice the faith in the right way. And so they were sinners. They didn't meet the norms of society. In other words, they were nobodies. And what we'll find over and over and over again in this gospel is that God cares for those people. That God cares for those people that we hear loud and clear that God looks at the nobodies and says, you are somebody to me. If others have made you feel worthless, if others have made you feel less than, if they have rejected you, even the religious people, well, I've come for you. I love you. And what we will see is that that message is on every page in Luke's gospel. But there's another message in there as well, isn't there? And that is that that the world, to those that the world views as somebodies, that if you really are a somebody, if you really are a follower of Jesus, if you really are a lover of God, then you are to be about the business of making the nobodies feel like they are somebodies. And not just feel, but to know, to understand that they are indeed somebody. That might be the best synopsis of Luke, in short, that Jesus came to reveal the heart and the character of God, to show us what God is like, and that that is a God who loves the unlovable, who loves the rejected, the invisible, the people who are made to feel small. Now, here's what I know to be true, church, is that today, both here in the congregation, those of us who are joining us online, that there are some who feel like a nobody. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you have been made to feel invisible. Maybe you've been told that your life has no value or worth. Well, if that's you, this gospel is written for you. This gospel is written to say so that you know in the heart of hearts that you matter to God. But here's what I also know to be true, is that also here today, many of you are somebodies. Certainly in the eyes of the world, you have a nice car, you have a nice house, you wear nice clothes, your kids go to the nice schools. To outsiders, it sort of looks like you have a perfect life. Now we know that that's a bit of a facade, that it's not always quite as easy, that life is more difficult than we'd like for it to be. And it doesn't always work out that way, but at least it looks to others like you are a somebody. And to us, the somebodies, Luke is writing to say, you are not really a follower of Jesus until you understand your role of lifting up the nobodies, of helping them see that they are somebodies. And that's going to show up on every page of the gospel as long as we are looking for it, as long as we are paying attention. And so with that in mind, I want to jump to the story, the part that we heard read this morning, which is also part of what you will read this week as you read along in our reading plan. 
all of Luke 1 and 2 is basically the story, essentially, of the birth of two children. They are sort of parallel stories. Uh, the first story that you encounter is the story, the birth story of John the Baptist, who was born of the parents Zachariah and Elizabeth. They are elderly. They are priestly. And in comparison, in contrast, we see the birth story of Jesus, who was born to Mary and Joseph. They are young and unmarried, as opposed to elderly and priestly. As I remind you, every year around Christmas, Mary was a teenager. She was probably 13, maybe 14 at the time. That's when young girls got married at that time. And she was from Nazareth, which was a town with no stature whatsoever. It was literally the other side of the tracks. Now, a few miles away, there was this beautiful city known as Sephoris, which, interestingly enough, was named after a cosmetic store. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> but it was glitzy and glammy, like lots of makeup, right? And it had, it had this, it was a big city that had all these luxury villas. It had a beautiful amphitheater. It had, it had markets. Sephoris was one of those places where anyone who was someone wanted to live there. It was the Fort Worth of Dallas, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but, but three miles away was Nazareth. It was dinky. It was tiny. Nazareth was where the people who cleaned the toilets of the people who lived in Sephoris lived. As we will hear later in the Gospel of Luke, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. So you've got this unwed teenager from Nazareth who couldn't read. She was a nobody if ever there was a nobody. But yet, but yet God chose her for the most important job that anyone would ever get in the history of the world. You've heard me say that she was set up not for greatness but for great trouble. Right? An unwed woman who was pregnant at that time was a crime punishable by death. She would be stoned to death. But yet, but yet when she gets the word, she wraps her head around what is being asked of her. She bursts into song and she begins to sing a song that is based on a psalm that Hannah had sung in the Old Testament when she was pregnant with Samuel. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. The lowliness of his servant. And then she goes on to say, he has shown strength with his arm. It's there in chapter, verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. The lowly there is the Amha Aretz. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty. Do you see? Can you hear the somebodies and the nobodies? You see, what we see over and over again in this gospel is that God is on the side of those on the underside of power. 
I've thought about that a lot this week as I've watched the news and what's going on in Ukraine. That God indeed is on the side of those on the underside of power. So we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention. This interesting dynamic that that those somebodies, that those somebodies, when they think that they are somebody, when, when we forget that everything that we have is a gift from God, the, the, when we do well in business, when we get a good education, when we are born into the right family, all of that is a gift from God. But when we think it's all about us, when hubris takes over, we fall. Mary is saying prophetically that what is bound to happen when someone forgets where they came from, they think that they're all that. They ignore the poor and those in need and care only about themselves. It's in that moment that they are going to fall. And the only way to keep from falling is to stay grounded and to remember that God wants you to lift up the lowly yourself And so if you spend your days looking for people who need to know that they are somebody, when you demonstrate both in your words and your deeds that they have value, that they have worth, when you allow yourself to be used by God to send away the hungry fed, that in that process of humbling yourself, you discover and you find the blessings of God. You see, what we see in this story is God wanting to make sure that we get this point, that when God came to give the most important job in the history of the world, God came to someone who knew that she was a nobody. And God says to her in that moment, you are not a nobody, you are somebody to me. Well, Luke continues the story. And nine months go by, and Mary and Joseph are married. They're now living in Nazareth. And they have to travel back to Joseph's hometown for the census. It's about 80 miles to Bethlehem from there. It would take them nine, ten days. And when they get there, they can't find room. They're offered a place where? In the barn. And when that child is born, he's placed in a manger a feeding trough, cows and pigs, where they eat. So let me ask you this. Are you getting the point that God is trying to teach us? That this is a story about who God is. This is a story about the heart and the character of God, about what God asks of us, that God is humble, and we are to be humble as well. And we see this when the king of kings is not born in a palace, but in a barn. So last thing, and I want to invite you to think, those of you who are parents, those of you uh, maybe who are grandparents, to think back when you were going into labor. The contraction started, you went to the hospital, and you probably made a phone call to somebody and said, we're headed now to the hospital. Who were those people that you called? Who were the people that you invited to wait with you in the waiting room? Who were the first people that you couldn't wait to show your newborn child to? Maybe it was your parents or the grandparents. Maybe it was your sibling. Maybe it was your best friend. Whoever it was, I would almost 
always bet that it was the people who mattered the most to you. Well, in this story, Matthew, another writer of another gospel, says the wise men were the first to come. The wise men. In other words, the somebodies. But who, who does Luke invite? Who does Luke make sure that God says, these are the ones, the first ones that I want to see the child? Luke says that the angels went to the shepherds who were watching over their flocks by night. He said, don't be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy. For who? For all the people. You see, in the first century, being a shepherd was the lowest job. They were the Amha Aretz. They were uneducated. They were outcasts. They were looked down upon. They were nobodies. And the lowest of the shepherds were the night shift shepherds. And yet, and yet God invites them to be the first to see the baby Jesus. As if to say, the world may say that you are nobodies, but I'm going to give you the greatest honor of all because I say that you are somebody. And to the somebodies, God is saying, don't forget who you are. Don't forget that all this is not about you. The part of your mission is to find people that the world considers to be nobodies and help them remember, help them know in their heart of hearts that they are indeed somebody's. And when we do that, when we do that, we become authentic followers of Jesus. And so if you are here, and you are a somebody, may you remember your call. May you remember your mission to seek out the lonely and the lost, the little those onto the underside of power and lift them up and show them in the way that you live your life that they are somebody. And if you are here today and you feel like a nobody, may you also remember the call that God has placed on your life when God says in that moment, you are my beloved. You are somebody to me. Amen.